Hello and welcome to Med Talk Podcast Episode 7. I'm joined by Reese and Fliss, and today we've got some new stuff for you. Okay, uh, why don't I kick us off? I want to talk about this year's MedTech Innovation Expo. Um, Rapid News, the company that we all work for, is the organiser of MedTech Innovation Expo. So between now and the show, um, you can expect a couple more updates from us on this podcast as to what to expect. Um, But this week, I want to talk about the um, MediLink UK Awards and in particular two new categories that we've added of our own. Called um, One is called the MedTech Innovation News Magazine Advancing Healthcare Award, and the other one is the Editor's Award for Business in Health Tech. And what are both of those awards going to cover? I thought you'd never ask. Seamless. Um, Well, the MedTech Innovation News Magazine Advancing Healthcare Award um, is going to be open for submissions very, very soon, and we are looking for companies who are exhibiting at the show um, to submit their kind of it's kind of like a best in show award so we want them to submit their innovations that they'll be either launching or promoting during the show and um, this very editorial team together with Lou who sadly isn't with us today um, will get together and judge those innovations based on a range of factors um, but obviously innovativeness being the main that's one that's the big one is it? that's the big one um, competitiveness um, market demand um, all those kind of things so um, it's really exciting and we'll be presenting the award on the night and I'm sure we're going to be covering it on MTI so if anyone interested we can keep an eye on the website correct yeah absolutely and if someone could now lead me in to talk about the editor's award for business and health tech <laughs> that would be convenient right and what is the editor's award <laughs> involved in the editor's award for business and health tech is um, a different kind of award in that it's not open for submissions so um, the editors of digital health age and medtech innovation are going to sit together and look at all the stories that we've published over the last 12 months and we're going to be looking for um, innovative companies in the sector who are really um, doing more to advance health tech. So it's kind of um, an award based on the content that we've received and we'll be looking for those uh, industry leaders and they'll be announced at the same time into the other category in, I think it's early April, we'll be announcing the nominees. So stay tuned. And will they be announced on the night as well, the winners? The winners will be announced on the night, yeah. So that's, this is my plug for MedTech Innovation Expo being uh, speedily wrapped up now, but um, obviously next episode I'll have some more information mm-hmm. about some of the other new features at the show. Um, just a plug for the dates, it's 25th, 25th to the 26th of April and it's at the Rico Arena in Coventry. So get down there. Cool. Get down there. Right, Reese, over to you. Yeah, so um, I'm following on from last episode's uh, topic that I covered on the vaginal mesh. Yesterday it was announced in Parliament by Jeremy Hunt um, that the government is going to undertake a review of a number of medical products that have caused public scandals with the mesh um, products. Um, An audit of all those affected is going to be undertaken and I think a £1.1 million 
Hans database is going to be funded to help improve clinical practice and identify any issues with the devices. Um, so it's a victory for the women who have been campaigning over the mm. well, number of almost two years now, I guess. Tell us more about this database. How's it? How's it going to work? Well, the issue with a lot of the vaginal mesh um, sort of clinical de- details is that any problems that women have had haven't been probably recorded by by surgeons or by the hospitals. So I assume. Um, the audit will look into how many women have been affected and the database will help record this for uh, any future uh, issues. Mm-hmm. You would think there would be like a way that they could... So the FDA and um, uh, the MHRA, mm-hmm. the yellow card system, the FDA yeah, has yeah. A, a way of contacting them um, just from a patient, you know, for them to just email in. You would think that they would offer that maybe as a service as well. So if they were having discomfort that could potentially be as a result of the mesh, they could email that in and uh, maybe then have that confirmed by a GP or something. That that would be, I think, a, a, a more expansive way, wouldn't it, of looking at the issues surrounding the mesh. Yeah, and I do think the yellow card system was mentioned. Right. Um, but I think a lot of the problem stems from there being no clinical data to, mm. to, to sort of affirm any problems with devices. So these issues weren't really getting related to the devices. Yeah. They were seen as being something else entirely. Doesn't the yellow card system have an app? Have I imagined that? I don't know. Ah, I seem does to it? remember that it does have an app. Well, I don't, I don't want to say that because it may not. So. Quite advanced, isn't yeah. it? For it uh, if they're going to use the yellow <laughs> card system, then that would be good. I just meant because it sounds like the database that's being proposed is solely from... Um, a healthcare professional yeah. submitting the information rather than it being from a patient. Yeah. Which obviously for other devices and other medicines, you know, it can come from the patient to get that mm. database. Yeah, uh, I've got a comment from the campaign group Sling the Mesh. Uh, I think it's Kath Sansom who uh, produces comment. She says, Jeremy Hunt says, the review will not go into the science of mesh. This is where the problem lies. Most studies do not use quality of life questionnaires or pick up the devastation of pain, lost sex lives, or constant urinary infections. Studies concentrate on if the mesh has cured the problem of prolapse or incontinence. Yeah, and that's the that's the major issue that we've spoken about this in the past on the podcast, isn't it? It's like it's a it's a minimally invasive surgery that, when effective, is fantastic. Yeah. Mm. But when it goes wrong, you know, it may be a year, it may be ten years down the line where these issues come up, and yeah. then they can't surgically remove it that easily, because the way it works is that the the but tissue binds around it. Doesn't yeah, it? it just embeds into the in the tissue in the body and becomes. Well, pretty difficult to uh, remove. Yeah, so if they're only focusing on that. And also it depends on the longevity of those studies as well as to mm-hmm. how, like like we were saying, if it's been 10 years since you've had it that you start to get those issues, mm-hmm. A, they might not relate it to the, the mesh that's no. been implanted, but if they do finally get there, what studies have there been on that sort of scale to look at those? Yeah, definitely. Because um, Jeremy Hunt makes a, a nice point actually about the government's response to the uh, the mesh. I never thought I'd hear you say yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, I'm quite surprised. He says, we must acknowledge that the response to these issues in those and positions of authority has not always been good enough. So at least he's taken it upon himself to admit that. Acknowledge it. Yeah, yeah. that's nice. Um, in terms of um, men who have used um, mesh surgery mm-hmm. for um, hernia operations, are we starting to hear more from them? 
Um, nothing in this, I don't think. No. Um, I know. I know there's little bits buzzing around outside and so sort of in, in the in the media world about it. It'd be interesting to see if that there is a small movement around that. It'd yeah, be interesting yeah, to see is. if it if it gathers as much pace as the vaginal mm. mesh movement. Um, yeah, definitely. And uh, also included in the statement yesterday was that whilst some people have been calling on a ban for products, Jeremy Hunt did mention that uh, that was not an option as clinical experts have agreed that when used appropriately, like he was saying, Fliss, uh, many women gain benefits mm. from the intervention. Mm. Okay. Um, do you think as well this is almost, uh, talking from a very cynical point of view, do you think this action that's being taken as well is a little bit um, of a way of them to kind of not necessarily quash the legal um, implications of, of surrounded the mesh? Because obviously you've had like people in Ireland and Australia raising mm-hmm. quite dramatic legal cases against yeah. the manufacturers. Do you think this may lead to a little bit of a, a, a quiet quietening of uh, that kind of action happening or maybe here in the UK because I think a lot of the women here in the UK have tried to sue the NHS rather than rather the than manufacturers the manufacturers, the manufacturers have... Johnson and Johnson right not of all not of all the devices type. Um, but of one of the main ones is Johnson mm. and Johnson or a subsidiary of Johnson and Johnson um, so I don't know if that'll stop any lawsuits mm. Um because I think, like here in the UK, have a deal more with the clinical side of the NHS mm-hmm. and how the operation's been done. Uh, whereas in the US, you see a lot of women, I think over a million across the world now, have sued. Wow. Uh, no, sorry, sorry, millions of pounds have been gained from the, law, of the lawsuits. Right. Um, from sort of US and Australia. Yeah. Yeah, because the there was a big one in Australia, I remember reading about that, that was uh, involved quite a lot of people, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. I just want to cut in and say our invisible fact checker, who's not here but definitely is here, has just informed me that the MHRA does have a yellow card app. So oh, brilliant. It is brilliant, and it's something, um, perhaps it's something that the policymakers should be thinking about for this register now as a good way of mm-hmm. bringing a community together around the issue. Um, perhaps an app is a good um, a good next step. But Yeah, fairly straightforward way to... Um to get that information as well. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and I think there are some things as well, like people might be more inclined to just pop, you know, it might be minor inconveniences mm-hmm. involved with that, you know, that they would be more inclined to put it down in an app, whereas they might not go and see their GP about it because it's not that bad an yeah. issue. Whereas there's still things to take into consideration, aren't they? Um, and added into that story from the pharmaceutical side, so this review is happening um, with the mesh and also... Um, a pregnancy test um, from back the sort of 60s and 70s called Primodos, which um, many women uh, had um, issues with either, uh, you know, children born with deformities such as cleft palates and limb mm. defects and things like that um, to worse situations. Um they're looking into that. Apparently there was um, potential claims being raised in the early 80s, mm-hmm. but they couldn't uh, really link it with the um, pregnancy test back then. So it's quite interesting to see that the longevity of that, you know, I mean, it's quite a long time ago that that was um, in effect. People are link- uh, sort of like relating it to the thalidomide thing as well, which, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. 
see a similar yeah, similar scandal. issue. And also the sodium valproate issue, which I raised in one of our earlier podcasts. Right. Yeah. So that's the anti-epilepsy um, drug, yeah. which can have effect on unborn children when the mother requ- is required to take it for um, to treatment of epilepsy. So they're looking into those as well. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. Um, a really interesting quote from a story on the Daily Mail about this was that um, the chairwoman of the Association for Children Damaged by Hormone Pregnancy Tests has said that we are disappointed that the three campaigns are being reviewed together. Yeah, I read that as well. Um, I think the column has said the reviews of each of the um, Yeah, because they seem to be quite different cases. Completely different, yeah. You know. I could... Trying to think if I could understand the sodium valproate with the primoris, but even then they're still very different, aren't they? Mm-hmm. You know, so so that's an interesting angle to take on it. And also, what was interesting to find out when looking into it more extensively was how people used to actually perform pregnancy tests. Yeah, before even primodos. <laughs> Go on, uh, tell us again. You mentioned <laughs> this this morning, but um, for the listeners. How did they used to perform pregnancy tests before Primodos? <laughs> uh, so apparently, before Primodos, um, women would be... Uh, a sample would be taken from, from the woman who was maybe pregnant, maybe not. Mm-hmm. She didn't know. Um, and then they would send that to a lab uh, and inject it into a toad. <laughs> and if the toad produced <laughs> eggs as a result of being injected with this sample... Uh, they would suggest it would suggest that the patient was expected, not the definite, but would suggest. So what's, what's the link there? Just eggs. It's the hormones. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's the level Women of hormones. Eggs towards the eggs. <laughs> <laughs> so the way the way that a pregnancy test works, it works on your hormone levels, and obviously nowadays it's done on you know via urine. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it, the high levels of hormones from the sample from the potentially expectant mother mm. would cause the toad to produce loads of eggs apparently oh my wow. god that's well, a shock for the toad a shock for the toad yes um I, just one toad or different different <laughs> toads what one toad one toad for the whole world <laughs> no not just one yeah. <laughs> one per lab <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dave, you mentioned another uh, test that dated back yeah i think longer, well i think this goes back to victorian times but um I heard something on Radio 4 the other day, you know, because you know, I'm clever, mm, I listen to Radio, listen to Radio 4. 4. Yeah, because I just want you to know I listen to Radio 4. Um, yeah. what, what have we got in the office? Absolute 80s? Yeah, absolute 80s. Well, that's, what, that's your choice. That's not my choice at all. <laughs> Slanderous. I, I like to put my headphones in and um, switch to Radio 4, which is where <laughs> I found out <laughs> that you c- in the uh, Victorian times they used to have urine testers, urine tasters even, for um, women who thought they may be pregnant. And apparently it was to do with the um, sugary taste of the urine was mm. was an indicator of pregnancy. And that was some poor fool's job. So why couldn't women just do it? Good question. You know, get a chart. Yeah. Outline the different flavours. Yeah. <laughs> We're straying into Bristol stool chart territory here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really unpleasant. Uh, our invisible fact checker is looking at me bewildered about the Bristol stool chart. Are you not familiar with this? No, why is it? The Bristol stool chart is something um, used by doctors 
Our, our listeners will be probably familiar with this. Um, something used by doctors to identify the seven different types of um, human feces. Um, and they, they all have sort of quirky, funny descriptions. Well, not funny, but sort of interesting descriptions. But some doctors have taken it upon themselves to um, start baking Bristol stool tarts, which are just cakes that use things like Maltesers and other chocolate decorations to recreate the stool chart. Why would we do that? I don't know. Why would we do any cake? I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm slightly worried that we're going to have to cut all of this because it's too puerile. <laughs> it's probably the worst podcast we've ever done. Um, well... Last week you talked about insect penises, so... I did talk about insect penises. Yeah, you'll have to go back and listen. I'm going to have to Yeah, it was a good one. It was, yeah, it was quite interesting. It was interesting. Yeah. Um, well, while you're at a point where you're uh, having this sort of discussion about what you're going to cut out and such, how can a pregnancy test make birth defects? Oh, so the pregnancy test itself involved um, a massive amount of hormones... Um, that are normally used in period delayers. Um, well, like the pills? Y- yeah, so you know you get that pill that you can take to actually prevent your period from coming on. Yeah. So it's like that, um, at a lower dose though, and apparently it caused uh, a rapid spike in progesterone levels, um, which resulted in a small menstrual-like bleed in non-expectant women. So that's how you knew if you were pregnant or not. Um, and then these... Um, caused disabilities because the fetus's livers were not sufficiently developed to process that excessive amount of progesterone basically God, that's horrible yeah um and uh, interestingly enough um which is the point that lou raised earlier when we were discussing this issue um was that there are there's some sort of thoughts that the the company that developed the test knew about these effects and that these complications have been sort of hidden away and swept under the carpet. Will they be held accountable for that? That's criminal. Or is that still ongoing? Uh, yeah, well, uh, I think that's going to be obviously raised in this review. Mm. Um, I mean, there's, like I said, the damages claim in 82 but was dropped because yeah. they couldn't potentially, you know, link it. The scientific evidence does not support a causal association, apparently, is it, this is from the Daily Mail article. So uh, this is a recent review that concluded that scientific evidence does not support a causal association between the use of um, HPTs and um, such as primodos and birth defects or miscarriage. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what they come out with. Okay, so um, the last thing that I think we should talk about is we should discuss our fofos. Reese, you have a small fofo. I have a mid-sized fofo. <laughs> um, <laughs> for those of you listening and wondering if I'm extremely rude, I'm not. But now we're going to find out the size of Fliss's fofo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with this. <laughs> let's explain quickly before yeah. um, this gets out of hand. Fofo stands for fear of finding out. And this week, Reese found an excellent quiz online um, that you can do to assess how bad your fear of finding out bad news about your health 
is and um, it, it's actually got a serious purpose which is mm-hmm. to encourage people to visit their GP when there may be something wrong Yeah. Um, because lots of people don't do that we found out as I said that Reese has a small fofo I have a mid-sized one and um, now we're going to find out about Fliss's fofo shall I take the test? take the test yeah so so it starts, what is FOFO? So we've already gone through that. Fear of finding out is a major psychological barrier which causes adults to delay or avoid seeking medical advice. So we're going to take a quiz. There's a disclaimer. Let's read the disclaimer. It's great for podcasts. <laughs> uh, so there. I'm just going through saying that I'm a female and I'm putting in my year of birth. So now our listeners know Fliss's gender. <laughs> I think it's obvious. Is it? From the name and the voice. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so it's asking me, if I had a serious health condition, would I prefer not to know or prefer to know? Well, I would prefer to know. What did you put, Reese? for that? I put prefer to know. I prefer not to know. Really? Yeah. Really? Wow. That's, good. That's a big question. So your death could take you by surprise. Yeah. Hmm. that's the idea (laughs) so have you ever delayed seeing a doctor because you were worried about being examined the treatment you might need facing stigma or discrimination being pressured to change how you live your life the impact your health issue might have on your job the impact your health issue might have on your family or none of these I don't really delay seeing the doctor about anything to be honest I have definitely delayed seeing a doctor, by the way. I think I put the stigma one. You put stigma. I I put fear of treatment. Did you? Yeah. I'm always scared. Needles or something. Yeah, needles, cameras, knives, (laughs) all of it. (laughs) Kind of GP to (laughs) He's he's pretty frightening. (laughs) Medieval. (laughs) Medieval themed general practitioner. So Fliss is saying now that she is in control of her health. That's a priority. Nice one. And that you can make up for an unhealthy lifestyle later on in life. Well, that's true, though, isn't it, to an extent? To an extent. I do agree. Yeah, to an extent. Yeah. Obviously. Um, So drag and drop into your preferred order of importance. So it's asking me for uh, my health, my family's health, my job, relationships, religion or spirituality. Other so I don't quite know what other would be Pets, in importance. I guess, or <laughs> literature. Travel. Um, mm. It's good for your well-being, I guess. Mm. Religion all the way to the bottom, I see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very religious. No, that's fine. I'm quite a scientist, really. <laughs> You've got Reese's blessing there. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies if that offends anyone listening right now. Hopefully not. We've already done the Bristol stool chart. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Are you better at encouraging others to go to the doctor than going yourself? Yeah. I said yes. No, I'm not. I'm great at telling people what they should do. (laughs) (laughs) We know. (laughs) We work with you. Tap, click to stop as many times as you can before the time runs out. Ah. Oh, no, no. Yeah, so just for the benefit of the listeners, there are some games halfway through the quiz. Kind of like a -a whack-a-mole thing, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Um, that just is annoying and not that great to burn a laptop. No, but I did okay with, with a mouse. Yeah, that's it. You kind of need a mouse. Kind of phone, that would be quite good. Yeah. You could have two thumbs on it. Oh, yeah, I know about phones. 
<laughs> Where would you seek advice first if you had a health concern? Please don't the internet. Oh, no, GP, family member, friend, the internet, are that I wouldn't seek advice. Well, I go to the GP. Who is most responsible for your health? M- myself. Is that what you're putting? Well, yeah, because I'm the most responsible for my health. I agree. Doesn't it offer you an option for the NHS there? Says the doctor, the doctor yeah, doctor, family. Yeah. Whatever my lifestyle choices, the NHS should always be there for me when I need it. That's the one I was thinking of. Um, um, what, did, what did you put? I put no. I put false. It's a... I, th- I, I thought it was a weirdly worded question. Yeah. If you put yes... Because the NHS is there. Yeah, but if you put yes, the implication is you're taking it for granted. No, well, I think it just means if... If you smoked and then you got lung cancer, you'd probably still want help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But then, it, like you said, the wording's strange. It's almost like you yeah, encourage I, it and you think, meh. Yeah, I put yes because... <laughs> the, just because of the, the organisation of the NHS is... Well, yeah. They did, have, they did have they did have a discussion on the radio the other day. Actually, it was about because there was. Um, do you remember me saying about that story about the guy who put his head in a microwave and filled it with cement? Oh, for heaven's sake! No, but we do talk about get, some strange stories. <laughs> had to get rescued by the fire department. Um, it was on radio too, I think. What did you expect? I did you know? <laughs> this was before Christmas time, I think, that I heard this, and. They were having a discussion about whether or not the fire service should have charged him for going out mm. to help. So I don't know whether that's. Although in theory we already pay for these services by yeah, tax. True. Um, I kind of think it's a weirdly worded yeah. question, and I'm not quite sure how to answer it. So I'll just answer it yes. Okay. Um. Oh, it's another game where I've got to burst a bubble. Oh, these games. Can you remember your score? I got one. I got ten. <laughs> ah, oh, I just it's really to put hard with a Mac with a PC. You've got to get the ones with the things in. Yeah, I'm trying. Can't. It's really hard. <laughs> and now it's gone. Oh, no, give a blue one. Give a blue one. Oh, no. I can't. Oh, you got one. It's really, it's really hard without a mouse to do that. All right. So, what stops you from leading a healthier lifestyle? Select all that apply. Healthy food and gym membership cost too much. It's tricky to know how much sugar, salt, fat is in the food I buy. I don't have time to exercise. Struggle to break my bad habits. Another reason. To be honest, I'm going to have to say nothing because I lead quite a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, you do. To be fair. I put that I can't break bad habits. (laughs) That's me. Yeah. (laughs) Or other, I like food. (laughs) I know, they didn't really offer that. I like food too much. Specifically, um, cheese. <laughs> and red wine. And red Are wine. the decisions you make around your health influenced by friends, celebrities, parents, doctor, children, partner, other, none of these? Kim Kardashian. Um, really, that's your yeah. idol in terms of health. Yeah. Right. She, she looks healthy. <laughs> I've gone for um, children, partner and doctor on that one. Have your parents or grandparents ever put off seeing the doctor when they've had worries? Yes. <laughs> My dad did, for sure. Congratulations, it says. And um, I've got some sort of... Oh. I don't have a fofo. You've got no fofo. <laughs> <laughs> she oh, basically won the quiz. Yeah. This nice means one, you don't appear to have a fear of finding out where your health is considered. You're completely in tune with yourself. You're com- and my health. You're completely at peace. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, no. so Lou did, did this the other day, didn't she? She did. Um, can you remember what score she got? 
Um, she didn't have one either. Really? I don't think she has a, a fear of finding out. I wonder if it's a... Um, I if, think, it's a if it's a gender. Uh, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think men probably would, in general, come out with uh, a greater faux faux mm-hmm. than women. There is an old stereotype that men are less logical than women. Is that... So I was thinking more along the lines of yourself sort of... Stubborn and... Just suck it up. Yeah, yeah, basically just, yeah. you know, man up. Those and then sort of stereotypical things. Yeah. So you, you don't feel well, you just crack on. Yeah, that's a bad culture to Until have. you drop. Yeah, it's not good. And, but once, it is once as well, I think, right? once you've gone through pregnancy as well, where you have to go to the doctors quite regularly anyway... Mm. So you're just used to it. Yeah, you just get used to it. And, and you start... When you've got a child, a young child as well, you panic about everything that they have, and end up going to the doctors every other week anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. so I think that's quite a big factor. I'm just clumsy. I don't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> Born this way. Yeah. Okay. With that, let's wrap up the podcast, and we'll be back next time.